This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from cbssports.com, and you are listening to the Prospect Podcast. I'm going to do a mailbag episode today, which is the first of its kind for the Prospect Podcast. Sent out a few calls for some questions on Twitter, and I got a few. I'm run through my answers to those questions, and then at the end, I'm going to talk about a few of my opinions on some of the draft buzz that's out there right now, as we are now into April, April 1st, 2020. I hope everyone is staying at home and is safe and everything's going fine with your families during this coronavirus outbreak. First question is from Max Owens, who is a staff writer for Buffalo Rumblings. That's SB Nation's Buffalo Bills website. Max is one of their newer writers. He's done a really good job covering the Bills from a draft angle over these last couple months during what has certainly been an unprecedented pre-draft process. His question is, who is the surest or best tackler you've evaluated on tape this year? Mine is Isaiah Simmons. I won't go with Isaiah Simmons because Max just suggested him, but to talk about Isaiah Simmons just for a few minutes, at his size and with his athleticism and his tackling radius, he is a really reliable tackler that I've noticed a lot of the bigger linebackers, or if you want to call Isaiah Simmons a safety, that's kind of how I view him. The bigger, taller players at those positions can usually get their at least their fingertips on some running backs that most other linebackers would not even be able to contact because they're just so long and big. But on a lot of those plays... They aren't able to bring the running back to the turf or the quarterback or the receiver because it's on the edge of their tackling radius. I think Simmons at his size, 6'3", 230, 240, with 4'39 speed and super long arms, does a really good job not only wrapping up on those tackles that are right in a telephone booth for him, but when he does need to dive to make a tackle, he's usually coming down with the ball carrier wrapped around his arms. And that's a testament to just how explosive he is, how good his tackling technique is. 
so I'm with Max that Isaiah Simmons probably would be the most sure tackler that I've seen. It's also important to note that all linebackers and safeties uh, are going to miss tackles. I almost view it similarly uh, to wide receivers dropping the football. I think you see or I have noticed that you see more missed tackles from a linebacker than you'll see drops from a receiver. But I view them in a similar vein in that it's not something that should completely sink the stock of either position for a specific prospect because it does happen. And all analysis needs to be relative to what everyone else is doing. But although, yes, there are missed tackles on Isaiah Simmons' film, he probably is the most sure tackler of any of the linebackers in this draft class. And his athleticism and just his body, his arms, have a lot to do with that. But I'll go with someone else. Out of the SEC, it's an LSU linebacker, and it's not Patrick Queen. His teammate, Jacob Phillips, he was a late watch for me. And going back, checking out his combine, he didn't test through the roof, but he had a pretty explosive combine performance in the vertical and the broad jump. Very good uh, measurements in those drills. And he was a big recruit. He was uh, one of the top recruits coming into LSU a few years ago. I did not notice a lot of missed tackles for him. Uh, certainly, Patrick Crean was around the football more and more active. But with Jacob Phillips, and he's a bigger linebacker, I didn't see him when he did get to the football. He's a very explosive linear athlete, but he's not going to change directions as fluidly or as twitchy as Patrick Queen, when he gets around the football, he usually brings a ball uh, carrier to the ground. And I think because of his athleticism, he put up big numbers just like Patrick Queen behind that defensive line that really is in place to free the linebackers to make a lot of tackles, and certainly both of them did this past season. But... He does not miss a lot of tackles. He can take on blocks decently well. He's not going to shed tackles um, like a veteran linebacker, but can bounce off and use his hands if he needs to um, to kind of not fall to the turf or not be driven completely backwards. Um, and he just really wraps up very well. Very fundamentally sound with his sh leading with his shoulder. Um, and I think he's strong and he has a big tackling radius. So Jacob Phillips, probably a day three pick. There's, I guess, an outside chance he's not drafted. But coming from LSU with the tackling numbers, with the recruiting pedigree and his combine, he'll most likely go sixth or seventh round. Um, and I think in the right scheme, a scheme that has his defensive linemen Two gapping a little bit where he can just run free and he can be a linear, explosive athlete um, just roaming from sideline to sideline. I think that's where Jacob Phillips could ultimately be the best. And you know you're getting one of the more sure tacklers in this draft class. All right, next question from GM Wannabe on Twitter. No name. The Vikings have a history of selecting raw, big-time athletes at edge and then developing them. That's true. Danelle Hunter is probably the 
best example of that over the last five to ten years in the NFL draft. Who are some potential targets in the mid to late rounds? This is pretty easy for me because I just did edge rusher types. The article up on CBSSports.com where I grouped the edge rusher position based on style of play and strengths and weaknesses together. Uh, I'll start with Derek Tuska from North Dakota State. He had arguably the best overall combine of any edge rusher. He went through all the drills. His three cone was under seven seconds. And at this year's combine, we did not get a lot of those from the edge rusher group. He needs to get stronger. I mean, he's not going to be able to to bull rush NFL offensive tackles right now. He's just not that caliber of power player at this point coming from the FCS level. Pretty bendy. And I, I don't know if he plays to a three-cone time, I think 6.87, 6.89, something like that. That's pretty quick. But it's close. He's bendy around the edge. You don't see him get pushed past the quarterback very often. And what I like about him, too, is that he has a variety of pass rushing moves. That it's not just two arms extended into the offensive lineman and that's it. He understands, okay, on this play, I'm going to sell my speed rush and then swim back to the inside. Or I'm just going to swipe the hands of the offensive tackle here and then rip and try to bend and dip to the quarterback. So Derek Tuska... And I think he's going to be similar to a Max Crosby in that he's going to go earlier than a lot of people think. Max Crosby coming from Eastern Illinois last year, tested through the roof, has long arms, was bendy, went pretty early. So I think Derek Tuska, I don't know if he'll go third, fourth round, but fourth or fifth maybe. Um, He would be my first player mid-round edge rusher. Um, And I'll go with two more. Kadir Shepard from Ole Miss. Uh, I talked about him on the last podcast. Didn't have a sack last year at Ole Miss. Only two tackles for loss. Had a pretty good combine. Has that 3-4 outside linebacker size. 6'3", 245, 250. Explosive player on the field. First step, get off the sustained speed through offensive linemen to the quarterback. And you've probably seen me write about that phrase often during the pre-draft process. I think a lot of players at any position running back even, can have good initial explosion, but then you kind of see it almost downshift as the player gets through a few yards, whether it be taking the ball on a handoff, whether it be trying to get to the quarterback. And Shepard is explosive, and his closing speed is very good. Decently bendy. I saw rare instances, but they were there, of understanding that he needs to use his hands to beat offensive linemen. I don't really know how he did not have a sack. I saw a fair amount of pressure, probably a late-round pick, uh, and I like his ability to be a little bit flexible around the edge too. He's not even really in the same mold of even Derek Tuska, but he's close in terms of his ability to bend. We all know how important that is for the edge rusher spot. The last guy to me is the premier deep sleeper in this draft class. You would think that would be Derek Tuska coming from North Dakota State. But he's actually getting a fair amount of buzz because he was super productive at that powerhouse of a school. And he had such a good combine. I've I've seen a fair amount of chatter about him as being that guy 
that is outside of the top couple tiers of edge rushers but will, could still be a good player. So I'll go with someone way under the radar, Casey Tuhill from Stanford. And I get it, Stanford's in the Pac-12. David Shaw's done a great job with that program. They had a down year, ton of injuries last season. But I think that fact, the fact that Stanford was not the normal Stanford that we see, 8, 9, 10, 11 wins, kind of leads to Tuhill being an underrated draft prospect. It was his first year as a full-time starter. Um was pretty productive. Had double-digit tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks. Um, and he too, like Derek Tuska, had a very good combine at 6'4 and 250. He had a three cone just above the seven second threshold, 7.08, which at his height and his weight was a very, very good time. Not tremendous, but it was a good time. It it, it passed a threshold for me. And I like the fact that you see, and beyond that, by the way, he had a very good vertical in the, in the 90 plus percentile, broad jump, same thing, ran a good 40. So he's an explosive athlete that also is bendy. And also similar to Derek Tuska, the fact that um, Casey Tuhill understands that he needs that he needs to use his hands in a variety of ways to beat offensive tackles. I don't think his pass rushing ability with his handwork is even as good as Derek Tuska's right now. But although his three-cone was a little bit slower than Tuska's and they're around the same size, I think Two Hill's a better athlete on the field. That There are some moments of really impressive bend and dip around the corner that you think he's about to get pushed past the quarterback. Then you see that ability to get low, sink the hips, bend with the ankles and get to the quarterback. And you see him dropping in coverage a fair amount and it looks very effortless doing so. So Casey Tuhill, and by the way, I, I would not really use him as a coverage linebacker in college or, or in the NFL after he did that in college. But I think sixth, seventh round for him, um, maybe he'll go a little earlier because teams are, are happy that they have some quantifiable numbers for him when a lot of edge rushers did not work out at the combine, some of the top guys. We did obviously did, did not get a circuit of pro days. But Casey Tuhill, I think, almost seems like a Minnesota Vikings type of player that they would pick him later. Obviously, Hunter went, you know, relatively early in the draft, but similar in that he wouldn't have to come in and be an instant starter, but add 5, 10, maybe 15 pounds on his frame. He's 6'4", 250, could bulk up to around 260 pounds, probably without losing any of his athleticism. And I think he can be a really good sub-package pass rusher. And that he has a high amount of energy, high motor. You're not seeing him uh, fail to chase from the backside. Made a lot of plays from the backside against the run. Um, can dispatch blocks, but that's, again, not an area where he's tremendous right now. But he understands that he needs to and does have a few pass rushing counters off that bendy speed rush. So Casey Tuhill, um, Derek Tuska, and Kadir Shepard would be the three that really pop, in my opinion. There's a few others, Jonathan Garvin from Miami, Trevin Hill from Miami, 
Jabari Zuniga from Florida. Those are more the bigger names that you should probably uh, keep an eye on or just have in the back of your mind on that third day of the draft if the Vikings haven't addressed the edge rusher spot. But to me, they didn't. None of them tested through the roof in terms of a three cone drill. And I think that they are all three of those players that I just mentioned Jonathan Garvin, Trayvon Hill, and Jabari Zuniga. They're all springy athletes. Like their verticals, broad jumps were, were very good, 40 yard dashes. I just think they're so incredibly raw that they just do not know how to use their hands. And I don't know if they're super bendy around the edge. Do they flash that really important ability? Yes, but I don't think that they are going to consistently win around the corner by tightly wrapping the edge. So the common response would be those three players that I just mentioned, but I think the first three guys, Casey Tuhill, Derek Tuska, and Kadir Shepard are the best in terms of, yes, they're still a little bit raw, but, and actually with Tuska and Tuhill, I don't think they're incredibly raw. More Shepard is the, the longer term project. They're just good athletes that are not being talked about a lot, playing in an important position, mid to late rounds for them. I think that's where the Vikings could ultimately scoop them up. All right. The, let's see, the last question that I got, I got three of them, which is totally fine with me. Uh, from Mark Robbins, the Bills have three important starters in the final year of a contract. Deion Dawkins, Matt Milano, and Tredavious White. Perhaps the Bills, perhaps the Bills could find their replacements in this draft. With this in mind, who would you target and why? First off, Mark, good question, but I would be surprised if the Bills just let any of those players walk. I don't think anyone's expecting that right now. I would actually be surprised if they only re-signed one of them. I think two for sure will be signed, and it wouldn't be a stunning development if all three were extended at some point this season or maybe as we get into next free agent period, maybe right before, something like that, because they are the – all three of them were picked, obviously, in 2017. The first Sean McDermott draft, Brandon Bean was not – in Buffalo yet. He was still the assistant GM in Carolina. Uh, They really pressed Deion Dawkins before the season and said, hey, we need more consistency from him, which coming from Sean McDermott was pretty telling because he's not, and not that a lot of coaches do this, but to kind of call out a player like that is not really what we see very often from Sean McDermott. It's not that he never makes his players accountable, but coming out to the media, um, He'll be hard on players occasionally, but he really said, hey, Dion knows that he needs to be more consistent. So we're we're looking to see what he's going to do this year. And in 2019, his third season in the NFL, Dion Dawkins had his best year. Um, do I think he is an elite tackle at this point? No. I think he's a top half of the league tackle, maybe somewhere in top 12, top 16. Um, and there were some inconsistencies, but there was a lot of games that you almost didn't realize he was on the field, which that's what you want to be. That's what you want to have people or how you want people to view you as a blocker. Not a lot of penalties, not a lot of up and downs that his first two seasons, you would see a game where he looked like 
a potential all-pro, and then for two straight games, he would be a complete turnstile at the left tackle spot. That was not the case this past season. He's still relatively young. Um, and then, obviously, Tredavious White coming off the all-pro season, had a great rookie year, pretty good 2018, maybe took a dip a little bit from his rookie season, and then making that all-pro team certainly deserved. He was one of the top two to three to four cornerbacks in football, a lot of plays on the ball, um, turning the football over, good tackler. Uh, so I would be surprised, although he could at one point be the highest paid corner in the league, I would be surprised if the Bills let him go. And Matt Milano, to me, is such a vital piece of this Bills defense because he's smaller and he's twitchy and he's super explosive. He has the body type to cover running backs and some of the smaller tight ends in the league. And I think that is absolutely vital. Does he miss a fair amount of tackles? Yes. But he also will shoot gaps unlike anyone on this team, even Tremaine Edmonds, and make plays behind the line of scrimmage and just run step for step with small, twitchy, explosive running backs, make plays in coverage deep down the field at the intermediate level and on downfield routes that very, very few linebackers could even be still with a running back or a tight end at that point. So, But he does have the injury that two years ago, at the end of 2018, he broke his leg, was pretty healthy last year. Um, you did see a little bit of the up-and-down play with the missed tackles, but he is just so active and so athletic in the run game, getting to outside runs, um, and again, in coverage. It's, I cannot stress enough how vital that is. I think he's one of the top five coverage linebackers in the NFL today, still relatively young too. Um, again, was part of that first Sean McDermott draft class. So I would be really surprised if the Bills are like, all right, we're going into this draft trying to draft their replacements. They've positioned themselves salary cap-wise to be able to re-sign these players. Um but I would say if we're talking about, and it's really kind of hard to pick who they would potentially let go, um, but let's say that if Matt Milano was injury history, the missed tackles, the lack of size, which I don't actually, I'm going to uh, kind of rescind that. I don't think he has a lack of size. I don't think Sean McDermott views him that way. You need that smaller coverage linebacker in today's NFL. I mean, they do have Tremaine Edmonds next to him, which kind of makes kind of a juxtaposition at the size difference at the position. But let's say it's Matt Milano. I think um, this would not be the draft class to try to find his replacement. They drafted Voshan uh, Joseph last year out of Florida. They have um, a few other backup linebackers on the roster. Um, they just signed A.J. Klein who's probably going to be a sub-package player. Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, if they're healthy, are going to be on the field almost 100% of the snaps. Um, based on where the Bills are picking, that their first pick is um, 54 overall, to me, there's not really a linebacker uh, that would replace Matt Milano in terms of what he does. If there is anybody... Maybe later in the draft, and, and he's my top linebacker right now. I need to do some final recalibrations to see if that's ultimately where he will be. But Troy Dye from Oregon, um, it would make for a gigantic linebacker core with Tremaine Edmonds in that he's like 6'3", 6'4", 230, 240, 
awesome in coverage. He was a four-year player at Oregon, uh, so I think Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean will like the fact that he's coming into the league as a senior. Not flashy, not a crazy athlete, but pretty good range and just very adept at sinking in coverage, reading routes, reading the quarterback's eyes, understanding what's happening behind him off play action and getting back to the football. Um, has a, a big radius that he can use to disrupt passes down the field. So I don't think he'll have to be a second or third round pick um, because he had a broken hand, wasn't able to work out, had another injury. So there are some injury concerns. Um, probably on the third day of the draft, if the Bills are like, all right, I don't think we're going to be able to re-sign Matt Milano because, you know, in the next few years they have Tremaine Edmonds on the team coming up. Um, and if he continues to progress, Josh Allen is going to garner a huge contract. Um, if they're thinking that we need to maybe start planning ahead at the linebacker spot, Troy Dye would make a lot of sense. However, I think we've heard a lot of these rumblings about that nick, that big nickel player, the Jeremy Chin, who's 6'3", 220 with 4'4", speed, um, tons of explosiveness. Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan that really exploded onto the scene at the Senior Bowl, also tested through the roof at the Combine, 6'1", 217. That should be a little bit telling, and I don't think that definitely indicates that Matt Milano's time uh, is done in Buffalo after this season. But we will start to see the Bills, and I think they're one of the forerunners of this, using a variety of nickel packages as their base defense. That when they're facing a team that doesn't use a lot of two tight ends, and they really use what is kind of becoming a the traditional slot receiver uh, on the field, I think Taron Johnson or another cornerback will be the primary player on the field in that game. But they want to be prepared for a lot of the two tight end sets that are becoming more fashionable in the NFL today. And nothing against Taron Johnson because he is a good player. He is one of the better young slot corners in the league. He's dealt with a few injuries early in his career, but when he's on the field, great tackler, can really mirror well in coverage. Um, but he's small. He's a slot corner. So when you're seeing two tight ends, you don't want to have one of those tight ends in a complete advantageous situation if you're the defense. You want to be able to cover him with a bigger player. That could lead to you know Matt Milano not being obsolete because he's smaller, but that if the Bills are, and again, the Bills ran nickel 76% of the time last year. That was the third highest rate in the NFL. So that's their base package. That's like when they step out onto the field, it's not four down linemen, three linebackers, and four corners. It's two linebackers and an extra player, whether it be a corner or a safety. Saran Neal toward the end of the season and in that playoff game was on the field quite a bit. Um, there were some injuries at that point, but the Bills want to use nickel. I think their two base linebackers in nickel will be Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. But the rumors and the speculation about the Bills being very much into um, having that big nickel player could maybe, to a certain degree, show that they want to at least plan for the future if they're not able to re-sign Matt Milano. I think they would. Um, at corner, I don't even think 
it's worth discussing because I, I just cannot see the Bills saying, okay, we're letting Tredavious White walk. But um, actually, I will. I mean, this is a podcast. I, I shouldn't just not answer the rest of the question. Um, maybe he prices himself out and says, I want $25 million, uh per season, which seems crazy now. But with the rising salary cap, I, I think we're going to start to see some non-quarterbacks hitting that $20 million mark uh, per season. If that's the case, this is a really good draft for it because I've said it on a lot of radio spots, probably on this podcast too. From pick like 20 to pick 60 or 70, I think there's a ton of corners that are very close in terms of their overall talent and their uh, position-specific abilities that there's not a huge drop-off once you get to the second round at the cornerbacks. But I think after Jeffrey Akuda. Um, and to me, Christian Fulton, there's a clear step down to the next cornerback spot. But after that, there's Jalen Johnson from Utah, who is really versatile. They can make plays in man, in zone, um, very athletic plays with a hard-nosed demeanor, will make tackles in run support, very willing in that area, um, has the speed and the athleticism to mirror down the field. He's one of the most clean cornerback prospects in this class can get a little grabby in man coverage but he would make sense um cam dantzler from mississippi state he's 6'2 but he has short arms kind of a, a weird body um ran in the four sixes um but i think if you use him in in zone which the bills predominantly do or that's their their biggest percentage of one coverage that they use under Sean McDermott um third or fourth round i think he would make a lot of sense he had a pretty solid 3 year stint at mississippi state did a great job against lsu this past season um i don't really love him in man because of the lack of speed and because he is a little bit over aggressive but let him use his height and his instincts in zone. I think he can be a really good player in Buffalo. Um, there's just a lot a lot of good cornerbacks that second to third round the Bills could pick. And I still think that's the biggest need at this point. Even with um, Josh Norman on the team, uh, I think that's the one area that with the Bills filling a lot of needs in free agency – um, that that's the one that still kind of sticks out, losing Kevin Johnson. Yes, they re-signed EJ Gaines, dealt with a ton of injuries. I don't think they're expecting him to play 16 games. Josh Norman did not have that good of a final season. They had a pretty bad final season in Washington. Obviously very familiar with Sean McDermott. But I think opposite Tredavious with the number two cornerback spot um, is really important. So you could say that a player picked in the second or third round uh, could play that number two cornerback spot if – for some reason, the Bills cannot re-sign Tredavious White. That player can move into the number one role in 2021, 2022. Um, so what is good for the Bills with Tredavious White is that they do have the fifth-year option for him coming up. He's not going to be um, a free agent after 2020. You would think that the Bills, because he's such a good player, would want to lock him up before he gets into that fifth-year contract or the fifth-year option year of his rookie deal, but you never know. And as for Deion Dawkins, um, there's the big five that I'm calling at the offensive tackle spot, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Makai Becton, Jedrick Wills, and Josh Jones. Those will be the five first-round offensive linemen. I think they're the 
five best tackles. That's kind of the consensus. Um, a few second or third rounders that if maybe the board falls a, a specific way and the Bills don't like the cornerback position, um, how it, it would be at number 54 overall or the edge rusher spot. Um, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State needs to get stronger but is a fine athlete and very good pass protector. Matt Pert, a draft crusher mine, plays right tackle or did at UConn. Super long, had one of the longest wingspans in combine history, and a really good athlete. Sinks his hips well, great pass protector. Both of those players are NFL-ready pass protectors. They both need to get a little bit stronger, um, but I like those two would be my favorite um, that could, if they needed to, ultimately stand in or replace Deion Dawkins if the Bills cannot come to an agreement with him. Um, and one other cornerback that I need to bring up, because I think he – truly is the best fit for what the Bills want to do um, with heavy zone scheme, having longer corners. Um, even Levi Wallace, is he's 6'1", very long arms, over 32 inches. Michael Ojemudia from Iowa. That scheme for Kirk Ferentz is very zone heavy. They're not asking their corners to run and press man on an island very often. I think that will appeal to the Bills. Um, he had a great combine. Did not necessarily look like this freaky athlete at Iowa, but Michael Ojemudia had a really standout combine performance. Arms over 32 inches, over 6 foot, over 200 pounds. Makes a lot of plays on the football. Instinctive, pretty rapid click and close ability. Um, you don't see him out of position very often. Decent run defender too. So he's someone, I think he'll go earlier than initial predictions because he didn't look like this crazy athlete and then he had a very very good combine ran under four five three cone under seven seconds good broad jump good vertical so he kind of ticks all the boxes for me I I was he was one of the first corners that I watched after you know the consensus first rounders and I sent out a tweet probably in January or February um that Michael Ojemudia was one of my favorite uh, early watches that I, I was just impressed, wasn't hearing a lot about him, just impressed with seeing how often he got his hands on the football. Uh, I think second or third round, he would make a lot of sense for the Bills. All right, that'll do it today for my mailbag edition. Thank you for the questions. I'm Chris Trapasso, and this was the Prospect Podcast. For the one standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.